Romans chapter 2 this morning will be in the first maybe 17 verses. That's what I'm hoping for. So get, get open to Romans chapter 2. As you're turning there, remember chapter 1 we've seen God's case against all mankind, really. Also some warnings and instructions to those of us who know the Lord, things that we certainly shouldn't have part in especially there in those last couple of verses. Uh, some warnings to us about unrighteousness, ungodliness. We've talked about all those things. And, and, uh, and so God's made His case through His Word towards all man. Everyone found their way to Romans chapter 2. Now here we find something kind of interesting, and we'll just get right started with it quickly this morning because we've got quite a bit to go over if I'm going to make it through 17 or 16 verses. So let's look here in verse 1. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doeth the same thing. So let me just stop there at verse 1 real quick. So, God's made His case. Obviously, what stands out to me in verse 1 is that for God to say thou art inexcusable means that man's first response to the case that God has made against them is to make excuses for their condition or make excuses for whatever it is. And so um, the first thing that jumps out at me on this is stop making excuses. Amen? That's what we do. It's human nature. We make excuses. And we start doing it just our little ones. They get in trouble. They do something wrong. And we go to them and we say, that was wrong. What's the first thing they do? But they did it first. Or they did this. Or they did that. They start making excuses, right? Or, in context to verse 1 here, specifically, what man has done and what this verse is pointing out to us when it talks about your inexcusable man, uh, whosoever thou art that judges, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that uh, judges doeth the same things. Um, so we love to make excuses for bad behavior. We love to justify ourselves based on our excuses. But here we find um, that those who are making these excuses believe God should essentially acquit them of those other ten indictments that we've seen in chapter 1, those ten things that they did, because what they're saying is, well, what that person's doing is worse than what I'm doing. So because they're worse than me, what I'm doing is excusable. No. And God's telling us, no, that's not right. And also pointing something out here, to those that do that, he says, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doeth the same things. He's saying, that's hypocrisy. By, by God's definition, that's being a hypocrite. And he also points out to us as we read on, that you do the same things, you just do it in a different way, right? And so here they're saying we should be excused of these ten issues, which in summary, those are abusing truth, rejecting God, unthankfulness, vain imagination, Um, darkened heart, self-exalting, idolatry, sexual immorality, um, unrighteous acts, culpable in their knowledge of the severity of their sin, yet um, 
continuing in it anyway or condoning it or enabling it or promoting it for others to do. And so this is uh, somebody that is, is doing these things, now saying, but I'm not as bad as the other person. Amen? But the Bible doesn't, the Bible tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen? And also we learn, as we start to understand the gospel, that there's not some, you know, like think about it this way. In, in the Ohio Revised Code, you got first degree felonies and second degree felonies and third degree felonies and fourth degree felonies and fifth degree felonies. And then you go back through the same order with misdemeanors, right? So somebody that's got like a, a little tiny misdemeanor is like, well, at least I'm not in here on a first degree felony. Or at least I didn't commit murder. Or at least I didn't do... That may be different standards of how they punish according to the law, right? Because a, ju- a judge obviously would not sentence somebody to life in prison for stealing, unless it's their third strike in California or something. And I think they abolished that a while ago. The point I'm making is in God's law, if you break one law, you're on the same, it's the same as anybody else. Amen. Sin is sin. Whatever your sin is, you're, you got the same judgment of God against you for your sin as anyone else does for their sin. And we learn in the Bible that that judgment, the wrath of God, well, we learn that sin separates us from God. We're no longer, we're not holy because we've sinned. We've been born in the sin nature. We choose to sin against God. Heaven is holy. God is holy. He can't share that with somebody who has unforgiven sin, right? So we have to go to Jesus Christ in order to have the forgiveness of sin. So there's no self-justification. There's no, well, at least I didn't do what this person did. Well, what you did was still bad enough to give you the same punishment they got in God's courtroom. Amen? In the courthouse of, of God's law. So, um, this is clearly an instruction to us not to look down on others because of what whatever they've done wrong, um, but to keep the focus on ourselves um, because the person who's always focused on what everyone else has done but doesn't focus on their own issues, Jesus points out to us that that's even a worse condition to be in. Um, so let's not look at other people and what they do wrong. Um, let's not try to divert the attention away from ourselves. Let's not point the fingers at others in our relationship with Christ. It's important that we're honest with ourselves and that we are taking the Bible for ourselves and saying, okay, this is where I'm falling short. This is what I've done wrong. This is what I've messed up and focus on our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. If we focus on our own stuff enough, we'll be so busy trying to, trying to live our own lives to please God, we won't have a lot of time to, to worry about what anyone else is doing. Amen? Does that make sense? Um, because I tell you what, the more we're in the Bible, the more we're taking it seriously to be Christians, the more we realize, wow, why do you even put up with me, Lord? Amen? And, uh, and so that should also... When we have that attitude and we develop that right understanding of where our own issues are with the Lord, what it helps us to do is love one another even more. Amen? Because we stop looking at our brother and sister to be perfect and we start looking at them for who they are in in, in Christ. Amen? Start realizing that 
you know, if we're looking at man or woman or anybody, anybody else, brother or sister, pastor or teacher or anyone else, if we're looking to them ultimately and not looking to Jesus, we could find ourselves hurt or disappointed because sometimes we fail to realize that we all have our own problems. <laughs> Amen? We all have our own problems. Um, so Brother Brian's not perfect. Um, I, I'm surprised the Lord even puts up with me enough to allow me to pastor, but this is, this is the, the will of God in my life, and I'm trying to do the best that I can with it. But the more I see these verses, God just tells me, you know, we all need Jesus. Amen? We all need the Lord. So um, let's not make excuses. Let's not look the other way. Let's not say, don't look at me. Look at them. No, let's look at ourselves. Um, I'll read further here, but you know what this chapter starts to point out to us. So first, I want you to maybe write this down. Chapter 1, we see God's case against all man. Chapter 2, we begin to see God's case not to be a hypocrite. Not to focus on other people, focus on ourselves. Um, specifically, not to be a self-righteous person. Because all of our unrighteousness are filthy rags, right? We need Jesus Christ's righteousness. So we'll see that. Let me read on a little bit further, starting here in verse 2. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgeth them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Amen? Maybe underline that. Sometimes God's chastisement surely leads people to repentance. But I'm also thankful sometimes God just loves somebody so much, just blesses them that that also can lead them to repentance. Why, God, are you so good to me knowing that I've done nothing to see the grace and mercy of God on display there. Um, so I'm thankful for that. Verse 5, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for there is no respect of persons with God. So we'll stop there for a second. Also, kind of going a little bit further for those of us uh, mature in the faith, have been walking with the Lord for a little while, this is also a warning to us that before we work on somebody else, let's make sure we have it all together too. Amen? Um, so, there, so there's a little bit of that mixed in with that warning. Um, to make sure that we have our own hearts right before we try to help somebody else see um, errors in, in their way. So kind of kind of pointing something out here. This, uh, these first several verses give us a defining characteristic of a self-righteous person. You may want to make note of this. The defining characteristic 
of a self-righteous person according to Romans chapter 2 is they misunderstand the height of God's law and they underestimate the depth of their own moral conduct. Amen? So they misunderstand the height of God's law. They look at how it applies to everyone else. They fail to look at it as how it applies to them. And then they underestimate the depth of their own moral conduct. They make excuses for their own actions because they point at what everyone else is doing is thinking it's worse than what they're doing. Um, so that's a misunderstanding of um, how God works, right? So let me hold our spot here. I want to go real quick. Go to Ephesians chapter 3 for a second. Hold your spot there in Romans 2. Amen, when everyone has it. <clears throat> Look down at verse 17 through the end of the chapter. I love this. Ephesians is an amazing epistle. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 17, Scripture reads, That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted, underline that, and grounded, also underline that, in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, According to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. How does this uh, connect here with Romans chapter 2? Because it's talking about the contrast between a self-righteous person and the instruction to us to focus on our own walk with the Lord. Focus on where we're at with God, right? Then, by doing that, it helps us to love others because we stop looking to them to uh, do certain things in order to meet expectations. We realize that everyone falls short and we all need the help of the Lord, right? It helps us to love other people. Um, it helps us begin to look at other people through the, the same lens that Christ does. And also, it helps us to be rooted and grounded in love. Amen. It's very important that we are rooted and grounded in the love of Christ in our relationship with the Lord. Because if we're not, we, we take off into things and we can hurt others or get hurt ourselves. So we need to be rooted and grounded uh, in, the, in our hearts uh, by the, it, that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith. We need to be rooted and grounded in love. This is to help us comprehend with all saints the breadth and length and depth and height. Now, I just told you that the mark of a self-righteous person is not uh, fully understanding, um, not comprehending uh, the height of God's law and underestimating the depth of their own moral conduct. But here's what I'm thankful for today. I'm thankful for, let me find it, the breadth and the length and the depth and the height of God's love this morning. That no matter what sin, even when we 
see ourselves in the Bible, even when this hits us in the head and says, hey, that was a little self-righteous. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. But I'm thankful for the breadth and the length and the depth and the height of God's love. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Um, I'm thankful that there's nothing that separates us from the love of Christ. There's nothing that can separate us from that. Um, And so it's important that we are rooted and grounded in that comprehension. Back to Romans here. I also give you this this morning. We've learned here in these first several verses that a self-righteous person underestimates the knowledge of God. Now we're going to do some Bible drills. Write these down um, in the event that I move too fast. Uh, don't try to keep up, but write them down. Let's talk about the knowledge of God for a second. Go to Psalm 147, if you will. When I was learning my way through the Bible, what I quickly learned is that Psalms is the longest book in the Bible. And usually if I'd open up somewhere right there in the middle, I'd be pretty close to it. I'd probably find Psalms somewhere in there. You got a pretty good chance of going towards the middle of the Bible and and opening right up to Psalms. We'll be in Psalm 147. Look at verses 4 and 5. Psalm 147, verses 4 and 5. Scripture reads this. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Consider the depth of that statement. Have you ever gone, especially during the wintertime when we get a lot more stars in the sky, have you ever gone out somewhere, not a lot of city light, and you gaze up on a clear night, and, the, and, the, and just everything's just filled with stars up there? You ever seen that? You looked up, it's just like, wow, look at all those stars. Could you sit there and number those stars? No, of course not. But God not only knows exactly how many stars there are, but he's named each one of them. Amen? God has named the stars. I mean, that just meditate on that. That is a fascinating, what an amazing God we have, right? But sometimes we treat God like he doesn't know what he's doing or he doesn't know what we're going through or he doesn't know this. Or he, trust me, God knows. Amen? Uh, tells us here in verse 5, Great is our Lord, and of great power, His understanding is infinite. God knows what He's doing in His understanding. He understands quite well every situation. Let me give you another one. So, uh, the knowledge of God, the fact that He knows the stars, He has them named, His, His wisdom is infinite. Look at Psalm 139. There's, uh, this, it, this entire chapter, really, I'm not going to read it all, but the entire chapter points out to our all-knowing God. Amen? Starting in verse 1. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. God knows everything about you. 
2. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. God understands the very thoughts in our head. I can't understand what people are thinking, but God understands what they're thinking just like He understands what I'm thinking. He's also the judge of our thoughts and the contents of our heart. Uh, look at, we'll stay here, look at verse 4. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it altogether. Every word we speak. By the way, every word that we speak in our own thoughts, even the ones that we don't say out loud for anyone else to hear it. Oh, by the way, we're also judged by those. Um, folks, be careful on this one. And Lord's dealt with me on this too. Be careful what we say to others about things. Because... Just because the person we're talking about isn't there to hear it. God knows quite well what we're saying and whether or not what we're saying is right about somebody else behind their back. If you wouldn't say it to their face, probably shouldn't say it at all. Because uh, we're not keeping secrets from God. Um, verse, so judged by our words, the words of our, of our thoughts in our heart, those that we speak out of our tongue... And uh, that one always, that's always a convicting, very convicting, uh, because it's not just dealing with like, you know, we think like, oh, well, profan here we go with Romans chapter two. Well, profanity is bad. Yeah. So is not telling someone about Jesus when you have a chance. Idle words, right? Um, conviction. Amen. Because we, we don't, we're not always as faithful as we should be, Right. Uh, but I'm thankful, once again, the length, the breadth, the height, the depth of God's love. Amen? The forgiveness of God. Um, he knows. And He ultimately is the one that will judge, right? So just be careful with our words, thoughts, and everything else. Uh, verse 23, same chapter. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. We should pray this to the Lord. Amen? But don't get mad at God when He takes your prayer seriously and does exactly what you've asked Him to do. Because He will search you, and He, and he does know our heart, and He will try us, and He does know our thoughts. Verse 24, And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. When you're praying that, you're acknowledging... God's going to find something. But the trial process is not because He doesn't know it. He already knows it. It's for our benefit. So that we can know about ourselves what God already knows so that we can say, well, Lord, thank you for revealing this to me. Would you please lead me now in the way? Amen? Lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in your way, Lord. So, um, God knows. Here's another one. I love this one. Go to Matthew chapter 10 for a second. We're back to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 10. Oh wow, we could really there's a lot of uh, there's a lot in here. 
I'll do a few verses here. Everyone got Matthew chapter 10? Look at verse 29. And not two sparrows, are not two sparrows sold for a, for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. Amen? And he knows everything. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Amen? Now some of us have more hair than others. But whether you have lots of hair or not a lot of hair, God knows the very number of hairs on your head and has them all numbered. Infinite knowledge of God. Amen? Um, let me see what we have here. i got a couple more scriptures that I didn't look at yet. Um, that caught my attention somehow or another. Acts 15. I think I know what this is. Acts 15, 18. Knowledge from the beginning to the end of all things. In Acts 15, 18, it says, Known unto God are all His works from the beginning of the world God knows what he's done I like it in Revelation 1 8 you can write that down but that's when uh, Jesus said I am Alpha and Omega I am Alpha and Omega the beginning and the ending saith the Lord which is in which was and which is to come the Almighty the Lord knows everything that's past he knows the present he knows the present he knows the future amen it started with Him. It ends with Him. He has no known beginning or ending. He's eternal. He knows everything. He's infinite. And so is His knowledge. And one more. Back to Matthew. This one's kind of important too. I like this as well. In Matthew chapter 11. Go to Matthew chapter 11. follow the point I'm going to make here because it may, when you hear verse 22, you may think, well, where, how does this connect? I'll explain it. But in Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 through 24, Scripture reads, but I, this is Jesus teaching. He says, but I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have, underline would have, remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. So clearly a rebuke of hypocrisy and a lack of repentance but what I'm pointing out here with that would have statement is the fact that God knows what would have been. Think about that for, an, for, for a second. God knows what would have been or could have been. Um, let me give you something with that. That's twofold application. God knows what would have happened had somebody repented. 
And he also knows what would have happened if someone had not repented. So uh, if you think about it in this context, when we are unrepentant towards something, we're headed towards disaster. God knows what that disaster is long before, you know, from the very beginning, but long before we do. When we acknowledge the word of God, because man's been given a will, we choose daily what we, what we make decisions daily on the direction we go. Yes, I'm saved. Yes, I'm filled with the spirit, but I can quench the spirit. I can grieve the spirit. I can, I can resist the spirit. I can live in self-will, sin against God, even though that's not God's will. But when we repent, our direction changes. And so that disaster that could have happened or would have happened had we not repented, it's no, it's no longer, we've turned away from that. Amen? It's the same thing at salvation. When we're lost in sin, we're headed towards God's wrath in hell. When we repent and accept Christ as Savior, we've changed directions. Now we're headed to heaven and eternal inheritance. But it's the same thing in life. We know, hey, uh, if a, a drinking problem, for example, somebody has a drinking problem, they drink too much, they get behind the wheel of the car over and over and over again, sometimes God sends a warning. They get a DUI. They get some, something happens, a suspended license. They don't repent and get right with God and get the drinking habit under control and they keep doing it. What could happen is they could wreck the car and die. Amen? Um, and so it's important that we realize God knows the could have been whether if we don't repent or if we do, right? And so um, it's just important that we understand God's knowledge of all these things. So that is so important for us to realize that every decision we make is going to have an impact in our life and other people's lives one way or another. Amen? Every decision. And let us yield our decisions into the will of God, trusting His knowledge and wisdom to lead, guide, and direct our path. Because if we don't, we may look back and say, I didn't see that coming. Amen? And then when we see the damage that that has caused, sometimes we say, if I had known that was going to happen, I would have done this differently. Well, God knew that was going to happen the whole time. If you had just trusted Him and used His wisdom in the decision to begin with, it's hard to hear that. But it's the truth because God's knowledge is infinite. And so God knows the number of the stars, our thoughts, our hearts, the hairs on our head, the beginning and the end, every work that He's done. He understands everything. He understands what could have been, what could not have been. Um, and so... <laughs> That's just amazing to even consider that. Let's go back to, to Romans. And be thankful for the fact that God knows it all, doesn't He? Amen? Amen. We think we know a lot sometimes. We just realize when we compare what we know to what God knows, we realize, yeah, I don't know that much. God knows a lot more than I do. Um, here's one that I think is, is worth pointing out here under the verse 11 where we left off at, for there is no respect of persons with God. 
Sometimes self-righteous people despise the goodness, goodness and forbearance of God. Uh, that's kind of like, wait, what? Let me explain it this way. They belittle it or they look down upon it. Um, I'll give you an example of this. Um, Jonah and Nineveh, right? Jonah didn't want to go and preach. Of course, you know how that ended up. <laughs> he spent some time in the uh, belly of the great fish or whale. What, what, you know, I, I think it's referred to as both once in the Old Testament and New Testament. Um, vomited up on the beach, preaches the gospel, and, and ultimately it turned into the biggest revival recorded in Bible history. Because Nineveh was a huge city, and many people were converted. And then he got mad at God because he saved them. Amen? Like, what? You know, I, I just think, so despising the forbearance, which is the uh, act of holding back um, the wrath, it's not a, a lack of justice, but it sometimes is perceived as, a, as God holding back justice, um, cause they, cause somebody believes it's warranted. Amen. Um, and so I, and look, I can give you a million, I don't have enough time, but I can give you a million examples of this. Um, sometimes in our court system, people get much less severe sentences than what people hope for, or they get acquitted and people don't like the, the jury. You, you know, whether we agree with those decisions or not, ultimately it was God that put his hand in that situation and caused that act of mercy to happen. But people oftentimes despise that forbearance, right? And so I'm telling you today, there are people that have done things so bad in the community or whatever that people are angry at them. People are mad at them for something and they don't believe that person deserves any, any bit of mercy or, you know, they want, they want to see that person punished for the rest of their life. But then God has mercy and sometimes people are offended at God's mercy on somebody else. That's not God's the judge. Just give that to him. God's the judge. It doesn't mean he's unjust. Right? We have to remember each one of us here this morning deserves eternity in hell. And God saved me. I pray you can say the same thing this morning. And so we're not getting what we deserve, but it doesn't mean God's not just. As a matter of fact, it means He's absolutely just because He's giving everybody the opportunity to come to Him for mercy and grace and receive salvation. Uh, despising the goodness of God, an act of sending forth His grace, which we've kind of covered that too. Um, let me say this. Let us not take lightly God's extended mercy in hand, nor his wrath in clenched fist. Amen? He ultimately is the one that um, is in control of both. Let me read on a little bit further. I got four minutes here. Verse 12. For as many as have, uh, Romans 2, verse 12, for as many as have sinned without law, shall also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Uh, let's keep in mind here, I'll give you a little bit what this is saying. The Jews were given the law, the Gentiles were not. And so that's what it is kind of starting to refer to here. Um, but now watch this. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, listen to this, 
which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law. These having not the law are a law unto themselves. What's that talking about? Conscience. Because we're all created in the image of God. The Jews were God's chosen people. They were given the law. So they had the, the commandments and the moral uh, and the Gentiles were not, so they were not taught the commandments of God. Yet, by nature, because they were made by, because we're made by God, by nature we have a conscience and we have an understanding at a certain age of right and wrong. And when we do things that are wrong and we feel bad about it, even if we never knew a commandment in our life, it's God's testimony to us that because we have a conscience, we have a responsibility uh, to God. Um, and so that responsibility is to accept Christ as Savior. Uh, so it says this, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So we'll, we'll leave off there. But a self-righteous person assumes that their righteous excuses, uh, that their righteousness excuses them from divine judgment, or they plead ignorance, or they plead uh, some other uh, scenario uh, with God. Um, man basically tries to escape punishment in four different ways. Uh, and we see this in the justice system. It's so easy to use Romans in comparison with the justice system. First of all, we try to escape punishment by not being caught. Sometimes people think they can do what they want. If they don't get caught, they're getting away with it. Amen? Um, and oftentimes, until they get caught, they never have to face any uh, accountability. Here's another one. Oftentimes, man tries to escape punishment by saying that their actions were beyond Legal jurisdiction. In other words, well, that doesn't apply to me. Rules, that rule does not apply to me. That doesn't have jurisdiction over it. It's not the same thing. So that's kind of a lame excuse, but we see that a lot. Um, first of all, every word in here absolutely applies to you. Okay? It's like it applies to me. Um, many try to uh, beat their legal cases with a, with a good legal defense or a lawyer. Uh, convincing others that they're actually innocent, right? They try, even if they know they're guilty, they try to get people to believe that they're innocent. That's one. Um, or escape once they're convicted. <laughs> yeah, and so in a spiritual sense, sometimes when people are exposed, they run so that they don't have to face the shame of others knowing the truth about them. Amen. And listen, it's an embarrassing thing. If somebody's carried on in sin for a while and they get caught in it or something, that's a very embarrassing scenario to go through, right? Um, now, it's not for the, the church, the pastor, or any Christian to embarrass anybody, right? We don't do that. The Bible doesn't want us to do that. We want people to come to Christ, to get the need met, get the forgiveness, and have their life rebuilt and repaired so that they can serve the Lord. Um, but sometimes when people have had something go public, their embarrassment and shame just makes them run. They just want to, you ever heard the term like the ostrich puts its head in the ground? They just, I don't even want to be seen. I don't want to be heard from. I just, just, ever, just I'm going to just hide, right? Because that's easier. But you know what? We can hide from people. We can't hide from God. Take the need to the Lord. A um, couple things. 
Well, I still have, I'm out of time. Um, just know this, while we try to run from others, we cannot run from God. Um, and guess what? Jesus has taken every one of our cases today. This is my final thought. God's made a case against every man. God had a case against you. Hopefully, if you're saved, that case has already been dismissed in his court. Why? Because Jesus represents us. He's our advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. He's our advocate. He pleads our case. Guess what? I love this. I can't myself afford a lawyer in this world. But Jesus takes the case for free. He pays the penalty. He takes care of it for us on our behalf. We show up the court and find out we're completely acquitted. Why? Because Jesus has already taken care of it for us. Amen. What a beautiful thought that is um, to know that the Lord Jesus Christ takes care of all of these things. He knows it all, knows everything about us, and He desires for us to grow in that grace and knowledge of Him, to grow in our love for others, understanding how much God has forgiven us should help us have a better way of looking at other people around us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for our Sunday school lesson, Lord, and um, beautiful truths that you've given us today, Lord. Help us be focused on ourselves and our own walk with you, acknowledging those areas where we've fallen short or where we may be struggling. Um, And Lord, let us give those to you today and ask that you help us to grow closer to you, and to be more like you in these individual areas of our life. Um, Lord, we want to love everyone that we can in our community, those that come through the doors of our church, in our church family, in our own families, in our uh, work environments. And uh, Lord, that's tested, I know, um, all the time. But help us to love and help us to do right. And help us to just focus on our walk with you. And uh, thank you for revealing your word to us today, Lord. Thank you for our Sunday school. Thank you for the morning worship to come. Keep those safe who are traveling to church this morning. And then bless our services today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.